Uh, morning, everybody. Happy Second Ambulance Strike Day. Welcome to what's supposed to be the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. I think we did this before, John. Hello. Good morning again. Morning. Morning. <laughs> now, this is a Prince Harry free zone. Uh, we are going to do a special on some stuff from the book next week. Mm. But so far for this review, no Prince Harry. But if you want to have lots of Prince Harry, keep watching these channels because there'll be some news on that next week. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast will just have to try not to hurt yourselves today instead. So what have we got for you? Well, the mirror has splashed on pictures of former prime ministerial loose cannon Boris Johnson at the £20 million house he is living in rent-free in London's fashionable Knightsbridge. And it says at the bottom of that front page that at the same time, 123,000 children in Britain are homeless. I don't think they'd all fit in a £20 million home, but some of them could. Now, John, this appears to be one of two homes he's been given the use of by the billionaire Bamford family, who are pro-Brexit Tory donors who've given millions to the Tories over the years, particularly under Boris and David Cameron. But Boris has got a house, hasn't he? He's got a farmhouse in Oxfordshire and he's just sold a house in South London. So why can't he afford to buy his own home? I mean, yeah, that's a big question. You talk about the Bamfords, it's Lord and Lady Bamford. They got their money from JCB, the diggers. They've been really kind to the Boris Johnson and his wife, Carrie, over the last couple of years. Remember their wedding back in the summer? I think they paid, I've got it written down here somewhere. I think it was about £23,000 they contributed to his wedding. They paid for the portaloos, the marquee, the food, the waiting staff. So they've been very generous, Boris Johnson. And now they're providing with him with not one, but two different homes for him to live in. And this one that our colleague Nick is writing about today, it's somewhere near Harrods in the Knightsbridge area. It's a street that's talked about as one of the most expensive in Britain. And since the paper actually came out last night, Boris Johnson's team announcing that he's not living there rent-free. He is making some sort of contribution towards the rent but he's having it subsidised the tune of around £10,000 a month by the Bamfords. And just, I just think, uh, if someone was willing to give me £10,000 a month to pay towards my rent, then I'll that take be... that subsidy. Exactly. Uh, that, yeah, really... that absolute discounted benefit. It would be. It would be absolutely <laughs> incredible. But this is a complete pattern with Boris Johnson. Remember that holiday he took to Mustig? I think that holiday costs about... £15,000, and there was a muck-up. He wasn't even really sure who had paid for that holiday for quite a while. And wasn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't mm. that holiday actually supposed to be... There was an argument about whether the holiday was worth what he said it was worth in his register of interest. He said 15000 but journalists were tracking down the person who did it, and something was a something had been offered for free, and then something he did have to pay, and then it was a bit of a rigmarole about that. I'd say everything with Boris Johnson and these sort of things, it's all becomes this big kind of confusing mess and everyone's not quite sure what is going on but yeah what is certain is he's doing very well out of this deal with the Bamfords here for some reason they seem to be very generous to him willing to kind of pay for him to live in a complete luxury yeah and also when he had after he had Covid there was a big scandal about the organic food that he was getting delivered that was from the Bamfords own organic farm and their business which was costing thousands a week in the end because he was getting ready-made meals sent to him. Um, 
but it's just just astonishing what they are prepared to do for this man. It must be like having a very large hairy baby in your house. Um, I keep asking us your questions, everybody. What do you think about Boris Johnson living in a twenty million pound house? Are you fine with that? Do you think that he, as an MP and a politician, someone who's representing the people of Uxbridge, should a be living in Uxbridge, b perhaps be living like the people of Uxbridge, or see that he should be a bit more honest perhaps about what it is that he's benefiting from and what the Bamfords are getting out of it. That's what I, 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 they've got lots of money. They can just be kind, okay? They don't have to get anything out of all the money they spend. But there seems to be something. There must be some kind of quid pro quo. Also, well, reality- Susie, Boris Johnson's doing well as well financially at the moment. He's got yeah. lots of money. He's able to earn hundreds of thousands of pounds by travelling around the world, giving speeches, entertaining business people, going to speak to bankers in different parts of the world. So he's hardly short of cash himself at the moment. Exactly. 30 grand an hour for a speech. Now, he obviously, he's quite good at speaking, but that does seem rather uh, pricey. The allegation here is not that he's just a bit of a sponger, of course, or is living the life of Riley, and aren't we annoyed he's living in luxury, but he's understated the value of the gift and his register of interest. That was the allegation, that it was £10,000 a month, whereas the market rent in the area was 30. Now, as he says, he's come out overnight, as you say there, John, that he said that he is subsidised for the rent, so that it's only worth 10000 But that implies a man on a salary of 88 grand a year is, is spending 20 grand a month on his house. Now, I'm not brilliant at maths, but I don't think that adds up. How can, where's he finding 20 grand a month from? Yeah, and Boris Johnson's not a stranger to investigations by the Parliamentary Commission of Standards, who's the person in the Commons who checks what MPs are declaring and whether they add up and whether they're following the rules. I wouldn't be surprised if you see an opposition politician, maybe a Labour MP or a Lib Dem MP, referring this to the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards, just saying, hang on a minute, would it be worth you having a look into this, just to make sure the sums do add up and to make sure that he is following the rules? Exactly. Isn't it a bit strange? Now, Better for Britain says we should be happy the taxpayer isn't paying for his accommodation. And it's worth pointing out that some of the rooms in that £20 million house will probably be occupied by his 24 hours round the clock taxpayer funded security team and as a former prime minister he does of course have some pretty unique security needs doesn't he johnny he's he's had that farmhouse in oxfordshire for years but it might have been all right for a weekend when you're foreign secretary but is it really secure enough for a former prime minister seven days a week now boris might tell us if he was here you're welcome to join in boris anytime um, he might tell us that he has to have a certain type of house. He has certain requirements as a former prime minister that he didn't have as a private citizen. Uh, and he just can't currently stretch to the £20 million. And he's he's working his way up to it. Uh, um, he's obviously heading for, or is, is aiming at, Tony Blair levels of post office enrichment. But is he just sort of marking time until he gets there? Is he going to hit it? Or is he is he just actually sponging while he can? Yeah, and the rumours just won't go away from his supporters who are so keen for him not to kind of go off in the distance and go and earn loads of money. People like Nadine Doris was on TV last night. She's obviously Boris Johnson's number one cheerleader in the world. She was saying basically that Rishi Sunak needs to turn things around for the Tories and stop the Tories being so far behind in the polls. All Tory MPs will push him out and bring back Boris Johnson because they think that he's the person who might be able to win their seats back. 
I just think now that Boris Johnson's got such a level that whatever his skills in oratory, I think a lot of people would think he looks rather tarnished in yesterday's man. I think there would be a lot of uncertainty in the Tory backbenchers of whether he could actually hold on to people's seats. But yeah, there's certainly a lot of people around Boris Johnson who aren't willing to put to bed this idea that he could come back as Prime Minister. But Nimco Ali, actually, who is... Carrie Johnson's, one of her best friends, she had this uh, article in The Standard, I think, yesterday. She was saying that those people around Boris Johnson just need to accept that this is never going to happen, that he is going to have to just go off and do something else. And if the Tories want another leader who's not Rishi Sunak, they're going to have to pick someone else that it's not going to be possible to bring back Boris Johnson again back from um, history. No, there's only so many times a man can be resurrected, aren't there, really? Um, as the Star Trek movies, I think, proved. But have we perhaps hit on what's going on here then? Is there perhaps something among the the, the reason that the, the people who've donated so much money to the party under Boris are continuing to fund him with a country home on their country estate as well for the weekends is worth about three and a half grand a month, plus this one in um, London, is perhaps part of the reason for that, that they are in the Boris Johnson fan club and they want him to return and they're, they're helping him sort of tread water, waiting for Rishi Sunak to, to lose the next election so he can make a comeback without him having to go off and start making the money that he would otherwise be doing. I mean, who knows, without being close personal friends with the Bamfords, it's impossible <laughs> to quite know their motivation behind it. I mean, you can kind of understand people with lots of money always want to get closer to power. And so, therefore, when someone is prime minister, you can imagine them spending lots of money to try and kind of curry favour. Once someone's out of 10, out number 10, there's kind of maybe less of a kind of reason to do that. But, you know, Boris Johnson was a big figure in Brexit. The Bamford's obviously big supporters of Brexit and it's possible that they just really like him they kind of enjoy his company but yeah their gifts so far have been incredibly generous that you just think "Mm, hang on a minute there is something going on here yeah well if nothing else I mean even if there's there's no sort of dark or sinister side to it at all if I was Boris Johnson and someone is giving me that kind of house in the country a house in the city various um, help and support while I was in my job and, and whatever, maybe in the future, I would be very, very nice to them. I would be very, very smiley and very, very friendly. And then you have the situation where there's a billionaire who is best friends with someone who is either just in or just out of Downing Street. And that's, even if you're not doing anything sinister, it's it's not best, is it? Which is why parliamentary standards gets involved in these things. Now, get into the comments, everybody. What do you think about the Bampers funding Boris Johnson's lifestyle like this? Uh, Mike uh, says, with the Tories behind by over 20 points in some polls, and Johnson giving a speech heavy with hints, will the party goer in chief stage a comeback before the Privileges Committee suspends him for lying to Parliament? What's happening with that investigation, John? Where are we? Because he was supposed to remind me of the lie that he was is that he didn't know that there was a party that he was at. Yes, the investigation is looking into whether he knowingly misled Parliament when he denied that there'd been parties going on in Downing Street. And so this committee of MPs, it's called the Privileges Committee, has been looking into this. They've been gathering lots of evidence, WhatsApp messages from people in number 10, different documents. And the problem is, it seems like this is going to be a pretty big investigation. And it doesn't seem to be moving particularly fast. 
we, you know, they've not started actually holding hearings. We're going to expect them to start in the next couple of months. But yeah, I think anyone thinking about whether Boris Johnson could make a return as prime minister will be looking very closely at this and how damaged he is by this investigation. And obviously, if they do find that they think he did mislead Parliament knowingly, then it could lead to a massive punishment for him, could be kicked out of Parliament. Obviously, that would take a vote of MPs. And I think if you did get to that stage, there'd be a lot of Tory MPs who'd be kind of resisting any sort of punishment against Boris Johnson. Mm, well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? I very much doubt that uh, his many friends that he will have made in office, not just the Bamfords, will make sure that he's not punished in the long term. Anyway, whatever happens to him. But perhaps, you know, perhaps having lost his last house in the divorce, perhaps like many divorcees, he's just wary about having another marital asset again. Now, James Hemmings says, well, the Bamfords must be getting something for their money. It makes you wonder exactly what now he's no longer prime minister. Tony Blair's not been prime minister for decades. Uh, decades, even plural, and he's uh, still got plenty of contacts and is still sort of brokering lots of things. I so suppose Peter Madison, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. So, you know, once you've been PM, the world is very much your mollusk. So I think that applies to just about everybody from all parties, doesn't it, John, really? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I, I, you can see it more with Boris Johnson than a lot of former leaders. I'm not sure that, I mean, there are a lot of people paying Theresa May for a lot of money for her speeches. I'm not quite sure what they're paying for. So you can imagine Boris Johnson, who, where, whatever you think but about they're him. They're paying for her to be the Maybot, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. I think there's a lot of cheaper robots that could do, the, <laughs> do that job for you. But yeah, I mean, you look at people like David Cameron. He obviously had this close friendship with Lex Greensill, who was paying him an awful lot of money. So yeah, prime ministers, a lot of time they complain that they're not earning loads of money. They could earn loads of more money outside parliament when they're in number 10. But as soon as they're out and they kind of lose some of those restrictions, a lot of them seem to be able to cash in quite quickly. Yeah, and Boris Johnson's always had very high spending private life, but he can't afford to be prime minister again anyway. He's going to have to have to make some cash somehow. Now, uh, get into the comments, everybody. Tell us what you think about Boris Johnson's situation. Is it fair enough that a man in his situation uh, has to borrow a very sort of uh, expensive house that can house his uh, taxpayer-funded bodyguards as well as his family, his growing family, uh, and provide security for him while he's uh, establishing himself post-office? Is that perfectly reasonable and fair? Or are there questions to be asked, perhaps that this is something that the Parliamentary Standards Commission ought to be looking at? Who knows? But there are definitely a lot of homeless people knocking around in the world. Uh, and if I had billions and billions of pounds, uh, I might not be donating it to a political party. I might be using it on you know, stopping kids being homeless would be handy, wouldn't it? Um, anyway, we have some other stuff to talk about. So let's move on because John's got a story in the paper, everybody. Woo! You now. cheer like it's a rare event. Thanks very much, Susie. Now we're doing We get the one where we have a story. We go, woo, we've got a story in the paper. Um, so you've got a story in there today about the £4.5 billion of COVID fraud, which we've heard about many times, to be some, to be fair. But we're getting it all back, aren't we? That's your story. We're getting every penny of it back. Sadly not. So yeah, £4.5 billion of fraud. That's things like furlough. Remember, eat out to help out. We could kind of go wild and get buy one, get one free meals that summer and all the kind of allegations about did that kind of lead to a second wave, etc, etc. 
But the warning is that a lot of people were doing very well out of these schemes that they were kind of cashing in, coming up with fake businesses, fake staff members, fake meals, meals. exactly. So the estimate, the latest estimate from HMRC, which is the tax man, is that it was about £4.5 billion of fraud and error involved in the schemes. And they've had a specialist task force, 1,250 kind of fraud busters who've been kind of trying to get back some of this money. Now, this specialist team is going to start winding down in March. It's going to shut down completely in September. But HMRC reckons they're only going to have got back about £1.1 billion of the £4.5 billion of money. And the new development today is a report from the Public Accounts Committee, which is the group of MPs, which kind of looks into how the government's spending money. And Dame Meg Hillier, who's the Labour MP who chairs that, has said that there's a problem here, the horse is bolted, but she says that HMRC does have a moral obligation to go after these fraudsters and try a bit harder to get some more of this money back. Yeah, I mean, working out very quickly, we've got back 1.5 billion and we had 1,200 taxmen working on it. That's just over a million pounds each on average that they've clawed back. <laughs> Don't test my maths. I mean, I did an A-level of maths. I think, but, uh... <laughs> I know, I'm trying to do it on calculator on my phone, which doesn't do all the zeros. But I think it's, well, whatever, it's it's not very much per taxman on average. Um, I remember some of them will be managing less than that and some of them will be managing more. If we've devoted 1,200 staff to something, you would expect to get back more than more than a million when you've got four and a half billion floating about well it's not floating about anymore is it it's gone off it's somewhere else it's in a different tax jurisdiction now i expect yeah and one of the problems on this is for rishi sunak who obviously was chancellor at the time when a lot of this money went out and i think if you went out to a lot of people in the street and said what do you remember about rishi sunak what could you tell me about him i think a lot of people would probably mention his wealth a lot of people would mention the furlough scheme which was the first time that a lot of people had kind of seen him on tv thought who is this man offering people lots of money but the other thing that people also remember is the high levels of fraud and people do think it's good that people and businesses were supported through the pandemic. But the controversial thing was how this was done, that there weren't enough government controls to make sure that money wasn't going into the wrong hands. And it's something that Rachel Reeves and Labour have been hammering away about, going on and on about this, trying to bring it back into the news, because they think this is a real weakness for Rishi Sunak, that, yeah, for all of the goodwill he had for what he'd done with furlough, a lot of mistakes were made at the same time. And you look back, people like Lord Agnew, who was a minister who worked under Rishi Sunak in the Treasury, he resigned and complained that the government weren't doing enough to tackle fraud. Back in the Tory leadership race in the summer, Kemi Badnock, who's actually now one of the ministers in cabinet under Rishi Sunak, she used one of the TV debates to have a go at Rishi Sunak to say when they were both in the Treasury together as ministers, She said that she repeatedly raised the issue of COVID fraud and Rishi Sunak ignored her. So, yeah, I think this is an issue that you're going to continue hearing coming back into the news 
because our opposition politicians think it's a fertile territory where it's quite easy to attack Rishi Sunak and question what on earth did he actually do when he was in number 11? Yeah, and I, I'm old enough to remember that at the time that all those schemes were announced, there were lots of people going, there's too many loopholes in this. There's too many loopholes. We need to tighten up before you do it. But they wanted to do it in such a hurry. They had to just sort of bang it out. And they, perhaps just being devil's advocate for a moment, if you were warned that, you know, say billions of pounds might go adrift and not go quite to the, you know, that the businesses might commit fraud, that there may be no way of gathering it all back afterwards, you might say to yourself, well, all right, but it's a pandemic and that money still goes into the economy somehow. All right, it's not taxed. All right, it's not checked. All right, it shouldn't be there in that way. But at a time when you have economic problem, a big economic problem, you have still got loads of cash floating about and it's oiling people's pockets and it's it's doing something. It's being spent, perhaps. Was there still an upside to all that fraud? I, I think if you spoke to someone like Meg Hillier, who chairs the Public Accounts Committee, as I mentioned, she would say that... Yeah, it was right that lots of money was being spent, but that money needed to go to those who most needed it rather than kind of crooks and scammers who may not be using that money in the best way. And the downside of this money not going to those people who needed it means that our kind of government debt has gone up. You know, working people have had their taxes put up and people are now having to pay the price of this. So, yeah, it might have helped oil kind of the cogs of the economy at the time but the fact that the money wasn't always spent in the best way means yeah. that now someone's having to pay for it and it's a lot exactly. of us. what it was being spent on and the fact that now we suddenly don't have enough money to pay for nurses uh -uh. bad idea um we had a comment there from mike which i think he said not to not to criticize rishi sunak but maybe when you're richer than the king a few hundred thousand going missing here and there seems like peanuts uh it's just all numbers on a spreadsheet some people uh, and other people, it's real life. I think that's the basic difference, but we'll have to see, won't we? Now, we do have some good news in the world. We're going to bring it to you. But first, if you have any questions or comments about Boris Johnson and his uh, friend's largesse, giving him several homes when he already owns or has a part share in, I think, three or four of his own, um, and the people are being homeless, have you had problems trying to find a house? Because uh, do you know the Bamfords? Could you not? <laughs> maybe, maybe you could just go and ask you know, and say, look, I've, I've got a home, but I'd like another one. Could you lend me one? See what happens. Um, do let us know. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll have a wrap up at the end. But in the meantime, uh, here is some good news. We found it for you. Here it is. Now, one of the unfortunate truths about getting old is that by the time you reach 108, everyone you know has died which means when it's your birthday, you're not going to get very many cards. So a uh, former desert rat, Donald Rose, was facing his 108th birthday with perhaps just a few bits of celebration. So someone put a call out on Facebook and he got hundreds and hundreds of cards. He got 160 cards altogether, uh, absolutely filled up with tears, whatever there he is in his nursing home, having a whale of a time, including he even got a card from the king, John, which just proves that the king's on Facebook or someone he knows. Uh, is this proof, though, that, you know, face ache is good for something and it, it's keeping all the old people connected? I do think that's true, actually. I mean, when I joined Facebook at uni, it was kind of all people my age. And now it seems to be now it's people, all people my... your age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, now it's all like my parents' generation. You go home at Christmas time and the person on their phone using Facebook is my mum more than anyone my generation. But yeah, no, it's just a wonderful story. And just to see him there with his cards, I mean, I do not think I'll still be going aged 108. 
uh but yeah absolutely amazing really lovely story yeah i hope i'm still going and there's a there's a feature deep in the paper actually from brian blesser who says the secret to long life is to never retire and also to you know shout about flash gordon a lot so that might help i can remember joining facebook i think it was after one of the early big brothers because suddenly it transpired that all the big brother contestants were on facebook and we had to go in there to find them and find their pictures and contact their mates. So we all sort of, everyone sort of signed up overnight and went, good Lord, what's this? And they all had their profiles open and their pictures and all this kind of stuff. It was the big brother with um, Pete, the one who had Tourette's. Oh, so yeah, yeah. long ago. So everyone sort of signed up overnight and then we all sort of went home. Then the next morning we went in the office and my news editor's there going, why don't I have any friends? And then we all had a friend request from my boss. And we're going, oh, no. And it was ruined in about 12 hours. <laughs> Thank you very much for explaining all that to us, John. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for taking part. Thank you to the Bamfords for giving us uh, 20 minutes of uh, solid uh, speculation. And uh, thank you to Rishi Sunak for managing to screw up the COVID loans, which are probably going to bring down your premiership at some point in the future. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? And well done to everybody, of course, who sent a card to Donald Rose because he really appreciated it. Now, as I said, we will have hopefully a Prince Harry special next week on everything that you didn't hear about what's in that book because there's loads of stuff that's not been reported including some dodgy stuff about matrons it's coming your way um and in the meantime if you've been listening on podcasts please leave us a review and otherwise we will see you again on monday for another edition of the news agenda thanks john thanks everybody tatty bye <laughs> <laughs>